0: Hello, my friends. Trinity Bellwoods Park is a very nice park. Lovely park in Toronto. I'm not going to quite compare it to Central Park in New York because that's a unique park. But it's a really lovely park in Toronto, and the weather was perfect this weekend. And wouldn't you know it, up to 10,000 Torontonians just said, the heck with this lockdown, I'm going to the park. Oh, boy, Toronto's mayor was mad. He went down there himself, except for the funny thing is, he didn't socially distance himself either. In fact, he took his face mask off. I'll have the photos and the story in today's episode. Let me invite you to become a video subscriber. Just join Rebel News Plus. It's eight bucks a month, no big deal, or 80 bucks for the whole year. You get, as you can see, a couple months off. Um, and you get the video version, and I want to show you the pictures. I want to show you the pictures of the mayor and his goofy non-mask wearing. I want to show you the pictures of the park and the lovely people there. Anyways, without further ado, here's the podcast. podcast. Tonight, what happens when the people no longer listen to the elites? I'll show you what happened this weekend. It's May 25th, and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail when you're the biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I'm publishing it is because it's my bloody right to do so. You know, we've all been scared for two months because they scared us. Seriously, do you remember when Health Minister Patty Hajdu gave her advice to Canadians go to the store and buy up everything you can, make your own stockpile at home. That really was her advice. And the wild predictions of hundreds of thousands of deaths in Canada. But at the same time, the refusal to stop direct flights from China, which continue to this day. Frankly, I think the scariest thing is that Teresa Tam, Trudeau's health officer, has kept her other job throughout this whole crisis, and she works for the China-controlled World Health Organization, When you understand that, a lot of other things start to make sense, like this old clip
1: of her. If there are people who are non-compliant, there are definitely uh, laws and and public health um, powers that can quarantine people in mandatory settings. It's potential you could track people, put bracelets on there. Uh, arms have police and other setups to ensure quarantine is undertaken.
0: Yeah, so they scared us, not just Trudeau, but other politicians too. So we all accepted house arrest pretty meekly, didn't we? To flatten the curve. That was the phrase. Just to remind you, flattening the curve didn't mean it would stop infections. It would slow down the rate of infection, so it would be spread out over a longer period of time. So there would be no peak that would overwhelm hospitals. We all had two weeks until that crisis would hit. So every non-emergency patient was cleared out of hospitals. In the U.S., they actually deployed those two Navy hospital ships. And everyone braced for the overflow that never came. It just didn't. There was no curve to flatten. The latest death toll for Canada is just over 6,000, which is terrible. I should tell you, though, it's less than the average annual death toll from the flu and pneumonia. And I think it's absolutely critical to point out that 82% of all Canadian deaths are in seniors' homes. What is it about seniors' homes or some seniors' homes that made it that way? So I won't even say it's a disease that targets people over 80 because if you weren't in certain seniors' homes, you didn't die from the virus, even if you were over 80. So take out those 82%, call this seniors' home flu, and then acknowledge that the death toll for the other parts of society has been about 1,000 people over the past two months. So 16 people a day, on average, excluding seniors' homes. In Canada, about 1,000 people a day die from all causes. So my point is, they scared us as hard as they could. And we braced ourselves for two weeks, and then that became four weeks, and now we're into two months. They said it was just for two weeks to flatten the curve. Thankfully, no curve to flatten in our hospitals. Our seniors' homes need a proper independent inquiry, I would say. But the rest of us, thank God, are fine. Not a single death in Canada under age 20. I'm pleased to report 8 million Canadians in that age bracket. Not one died. I'm not happy that seniors' homes residents are dying. But my point is, if schools are closed, I think we can agree it's a teacher's union thing, probably. It's not a health thing. So two months cooped up, stressed out. For millions of people, unemployment and the risk of poverty. And on top of that, the people who said we had to be scared and strict and not come into contact with other humans not cross provincial lines, not travel. But they all did precisely those things. Trudeau was the most brazen, of course. For many weeks now, authorities are saying, don't go to your uh, cottage. Um, there on the Ottawa River, there's even some control uh, by the police to make sure that people don't go from Ottawa to but well, Why was it okay for you to do this? Uh, as I mentioned last week in my uh, my presentation, uh, after three weeks of my family living up at, uh, at Harrington uh, and me working here, I uh, went to join
1: them for, for Easter. Uh, we continue to follow all the instructions from public health authorities.
0: Yeah, he broke the rules. What, what are you gonna do about it? Oh, and so did Ontario Premier Doug Ford.
1: On Sunday Sunday morning of Easter, my team told me I got the the morning off, and it was the first time I got off in
0: I don't know two months. And it was it's weighing on me because a couple couple of years ago
1: we had burst pipes, made a terrible mess, thousands of dollars of damage. And that that night, you know, I was, I was thinking about. It. I woke up early in in the morning, five thirty, and and then I just got ready and hopped in the pickup truck myself
0: at six thirty in the morning. I drove up up there and checked out you know, make sure
1: everything was okay, and it, it was. I literally hopped hop back in my truck and drove right back, as back by by noon.
0: That's a ticket, he went up there to check on the plumbing. That's why he had a family reunion out there in the cottage. Here's Toronto's Mayor John Tory.
1: It's just so disappointing, you just can't believe people uh, really, you know, want this to last longer.
2: Mm-hmm. They're ones that said they needed to have a break Uh, you know, in the park. And I get that from their own apartments and condos and so on. And yet they don't realize that by doing what they did yesterday, they are you know, running a real risk that we're going to prolong this whole thing or have to close the city uh, down again.
0: Yeah, he's so disappointed in us. Don't we know we risk killing everyone? It's okay for him to take off his mask and pose for a photo op in front of a hospital with frontline workers. Mask off so we can see it's him in the PR photo. That's fine, but not for you. And here he is at a large park in Toronto on the weekend called Trinity Bellwoods. It's such a pretty park. It's a fun park. Lots of people, lots of pets. Just a great place to go. The mayor actually put fences around the pretty trees to stop people from looking at them. I swear I'm not making that up. Anyways, after we mocked those fences, the mayor took them down. But anyways, the mayor went to the park this weekend. I think he knows that's not how you wear a mask. (laughs) I think he knows that, but he did that with his mask because it was, I don't know, inconvenient or uncomfortable or people couldn't hear him or he just felt stupid wearing it. All of those things could be true. All probably are true. But he literally went down there precisely to scold people. And that's what's so amazing. It was packed. And I mean packed. I heard estimates of up to 10,000 people in the park. Now, if you know downtown Toronto, you know there's a forest of very tall high-rise condos, typically pretty small usually young people living in them right downtown. So no backyard, no open spaces. And everything's being shut down. So you're cooped up at home. You're doing nothing. Or if you can work from home, you're still slowly going mad. The only human contact you have is via Skype or Zoom and 10 seconds when the food delivery guy comes. So you've been cooped up for two months, like you've been holding your breath. And you've been waiting for the worst. And thank God the worst never happened. And maybe you've heard that not a single case is being recorded of catching the virus through casual outdoor contact, and you know the young people don't get it, and more to the point, you see that all the bosses are cheating. They don't really mean it. And maybe you've started to see other jurisdictions going back to normal, especially in the United States, but some Canadian places too. So it's a gorgeous weekend, this last weekend, and you say, I'm going out. To heck with it. I'm alive. I want to see other humans. I want to live want to see my old friends. I want to maybe make some new friends or just talk to people in person. No screens, no Skype, no cell phones, just to connect human to human. And it looked wonderful. I don't see a lot of cell phones in the picture. Do you? People have had their fill of cell phones. They want to live again. It's wonderful. And not that this is political, but these are liberals, these people, young, single, downtown Toronto, high rise dwellers. Yeah, that's liberal. That's NDP. That's Green Party. That's Obama wannabe. That's not right-wing conservative Trump people. But it's not even about partisan stripes. It's just about being human and deciding that you're done being scared and that really the only people who should be scared are seniors who are stashed in seniors' homes. So the mayor goes down there to scold people. I'm serious. That's, that's what he was doing. Mask off, no social distancing. Isn't it funny how it seems to work that way? So many cases, including our Fight Defines cases, the police themselves are the ones causing the risk, if you believe it's a risk, with no masks, no social distancing. So uh, the mayor of Toronto was so, so disappointed in the people. And so was the mayor's chief medical officer, Eileen DeVilla. Well, we should have a lot of chief medical officers in Canada. Lots of chiefs, don't we? Theresa Tam, one for each province and territory. Looks like all the big cities have one. That's a lot of chiefs, isn't it? All very important, all paid a lot. Just basically telling us to wash our hands, <laughs> scolding, scolding, scolding. I understand that the photos of people in Trinity Bellwoods were disappointing today, said Toronto's chief uh, public health officer. It was a beautiful day and we all want to enjoy our city together, but this could be selfish and dangerous behavior that could send us back. Is selfish a medical diagnosis? And is she now saying that the virus is indeed transmitted through casual outdoor contact? 312 studies say it's not. What's her source on this? And this one. Please keep a physical distance and do not socialize in group settings, especially indoors. Please continue to practice physical distancing and please continue to take care of each other. Hang on. Don't socialize outside, but definitely don't socialize indoors. And but also take care of each other, but don't. What? They're not listening to you. They, They listen for two months and they've had enough. You don't even make sense. A Toronto news channel called CP24 went down to the park and they were appalled, but here's two photos sent to me from someone who was at the park. You can see the reporter there, the second cameraman, wearing a mask. That's good hygiene people, But for him at least, but as soon as they were off camera, he took off his mask, just like the mayor did. It was just for show. Well, everyone was so mad and the mayor was threatening fines and tickets. So they deployed a ton of police the next day, Sunday, and they managed to scare away the crowds. Who knows where they went? But look at this guy literally lying down by himself in the middle of the park, no one around him for 100 feet, and he still got a ticket. Why? For, for doing what? How did that guy by himself get a ticket when the mayor went down there mixing with crowds with no mask on and he didn't get a ticket? It's hard not to notice the people who have summer cottages and big backyards are doing pretty good in this lockdown. They don't mind. And they're pretty scoldy of people who don't have those things and just want to go to the park. The poors. Just like people who are being paid no matter what. They love this surprise bonus vacation at home. It's the little people who have lost their jobs as waiters, waitresses, barbers. They're the ones who want to get back to work. I think this is a class thing, really. Here's a website that compiles the salaries and names from Ontario's sunshine list. That's provincial employees who earn six figures. Eileen DeVilla makes $309,000 a year as Toronto's public health schooled. That's up from 215 grand just two years ago. I'm guessing she's got her own lake house if she's making that kind of coin. So she doesn't need some park. There are actually public health officers in Ontario who make close to $400,000 a year. They're not even meeting patients. They're just scolding. They, they, they tweet their disappointment to the rest of us. I was mad at these fancy schools and their private vacation homes, lecturing young men and women out of the park. So I wrote on Twitter, I said, bounty, I'll pay you $2,500 cash for photos or videos of Cruella de Villa breaking her own pandemic guidelines, like Doug Ford at the Cottage and Trudeau visiting his family over Easter. You don't actually believe they, she follows her own rules, do you? And I will uh, uh pay that bounty. I'd love to uh, get photos of any of those things, but out of the blue, I got a reply from a 90s TV celebrity on that old station called Munch Music, Erica M. She's such a fan of, you know, she's a girl groupie who just made eyes at every band passing through town. It was sort of funny, a 90s moment. Anyway, I guess she's still alive, thank God. I was delighted to learn. And she looks wonderful for age 58. Uh, and she was super mad at me, though. She said, do you really need attention this badly? Please act like a responsible adult and stop with the games and name calling. It's so easy to disparage and bully safely from the sidelines, especially women. They're always an easier target. (laughs) I'm trying to get attention. It's true because I'm trying to get everyone with a fine to come to me and we'll fight the ticket for them. It's not games. The name calling is pretty gentle. I call politicians' names, but it's that one line she said. It's so easy to disparage and bully safely from the sidelines, especially women. They're always in need of your target. Whoa, well, well, what are you talking about? I wrote back. I said, what a blast from the past. I can't believe it's been 26 years since you run much music. I'm glad to see you're still alive and kicking. I criticized three political bullies, two men, one woman. It's condescending to see Davila for uh, you to blame sexism rather than incompetence. And she said this. She said, yes, still standing. Let me rephrase. Please don't be a bully on social media, especially to public servants working hard with no roadmap. Everyone's doing what they can to find a way out. Rather than criticize, find positive solutions. What? Twice she calls me a bully? Is that what it is to criticize a politician who earns $300,000 a year from taxpayers and is threatening thousands of people with fines? Is that, is that bullying? I said, I'm not a bully. is a bully, scolding and threatening to fine working class people who've been cooped up in tiny apartments, don't have fancy lake cottages like Trudeau Ford, or $1,000 a night Muskoka family getaways. And I linked to this vacation travelogue by Erica M. of her taking her family to a $1,000 a night lake resort. That's the thing. Don't don't tell a working class young person he can't go to the park because he doesn't have a country home. He doesn't have a home at all. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. They promised us it would be a two-week lockdown, it's two months. If some politicians had their way, they'd keep us like this for a long, long time.
1: If there are people who are non-compliant, there are definitely uh, laws and and public health um, powers that can quarantine people in mandatory settings. It's potential you could track people, put bracelets on there. Uh, arms have police and other setups to ensure quarantine is undertaken.
0: Can't yeah, bracelets, eh? This isn't going to end quickly, is it? Stay with us for more. So, you guys know the Canadian Charter, right? We have the right to peaceful assembly, and municipalities, they can't. During a regular time, yes, but this is a state of
2: emergency that we're under. Uh, he had told us that he's not going to be issuing a fine at this time. He would allow us a, a little while to read over things and put these
1: measures into place, uh, which would be the plexiglass and the uh, arrows on the floor for social distancing. So he, he wasn't going to fine us until he spoke it uh, over with Dr. Paul Romoliotis uh, at the Eastern Ontario Health Unit, and they would determine whether a fine would be put in place.
2: Um, However, the officer come back within the hour and
1: uh, he fined us $880. I brought her out to do her business and I was out here maybe five minutes, six minutes. I came back to the back door and I got to the third door. There were two policemen standing in front of my apartment with Max's son like yourself and uh, they, had a, they had the ticket already made out. They whipped it out like Matt Dillon and handed it to me. Uh, $880.
2: Basically, as soon as I walked out onto the skate
0: park, 3 bylaw officers walked out and they just ticketed me. They, They didn't give me a warning,
2: they didn't tell me to just go. I asked, I tried to talk to them about it, but they just stuck me with the ticket. I
0: was walking around this field, you know, figuring, you know, metal detecting, what could be more of a social distancing hobby, right? So I figured, you know, it's cool. I'm not near the benches, I'm not near other people. I'm in the middle of a field, you know, what could go wrong? And lo and behold, from half a kilometer away, here they come and I knew right away, so what could I do? I
1: just stood there and expected the worst and the worst happened. Here's your ticket, mm-hmm. leave the parking lot now, so look another one. Next one goes up to $1,000. Really? Yes, oh. you can get up to $10,000.
0: How fix. many of you so given move. out today? You're the first. Well, I feel so, so good you're about lucky. that. You're lucky, you're the first. You're the first out, for one pack. We were on this swing for about 15, or t- we were here for about 15 or 20 minutes. She was just on the swing. Uh, we weren't
2: hurting anyone. We were here by ourselves. The police showed up. Uh, two officers approached us and told us that we were breaking... And they, and they put handcuffs
0: on my mom. Welcome back. Well, you might recall that about a month ago, we knew that civil liberties were going to be one of the things broken or infringed during the pandemic overreaction by the government, not just here in Canada, of course, the United States and the UK in particular, have seen some bad behavior by government but we're based in Canada so we thought let's actually do something about it so we set up a website called fightthefines.com and we made an arrangement with a civil liberties and criminal law defense lawyer in Toronto named Sam Goldstein to help us vet cases brought to us through that website and we would crowdfund the legal fees. Well I'm pleased to report that we now have more than 10 cases that we're working on. You can see all of them at fightthefines.com. And I thought it would take a moment to catch up with who I call the managing partner of our civil liberties public interest law firm, Sam Goldstein himself, who joins us now via Skype. Sam, great to see you again. Welcome back.
2: Yeah, you well, know, it's nice to see you too, Ezra. Uh, uh, be careful if I'm going to be called the managing partner. I may be asking
0: for an increase in my fees. <laughs> well, listen, it's been a very interesting and educational month for me. I've enjoyed watching you discuss these cases and our journalists reporting cases from as far west as Calgary and as far east as New Brunswick. That crazy case of the Tim Hortons coffee drinker just sitting in his car by himself um, if you had to sum up the commonality in the 10 or so cases we've published so far, what, what would you think they have in common?
2: Well, you know, I think we um, what we're seeing across Canada, Ezra, is... Um, Some of it, I think, is is due to people misunderstanding what the law is. And I I don't think you can fault them because it's quite confusing. Even sometimes I'm confused about what the laws are. You're getting a little bit of mixed messages from the federal level and the provincial level. Now, particularly when um, provincial levels are talking about easing things up and the federal level, continues to have this message that we have to crack down on things and we're still there's a concern out there. So I think there's a lot of confusion still about what the laws are. And I think sometimes that confusion spills over into the police who are, who are supposed to be out there uh, enforcing along the bylaw officers. I think that case in New Brunswick might be an example of that, where if we take a look at the Ontario legislation, I think the New Brunswick le- legislation is somewhat similar. And I'm telling you, you know, um, Ezra, I'm having a difficult time trying to find what all the legislation is across Canada. So you can could, you could only imagine individuals in that province are having a a bit of a problem. Um, I don't think that guy did anything wrong. Again, in the the Ontario experience, uh, assuming the laws are the same, and I think they're more or less are in in variations of it, they're the same. Um, You know, you're certainly allowed to be in a public or a public place, um, including a private place like a golf club and or even like a drive, you know, a parking lot for a Tim Hortons. All he was was being alone. That's not a problem. The problem would have been um, if he gathered with X number of people. I think in New Brunswick, they have a different number. I think it was 15 in New Brunswick. Here in Ontario, they said it was five. Uh, Or if you're in closer than a hockey stick distance from someone, and that's actually a municipal bylaw. So to me, I just don't understand why that individual got ticketed at all.
0: I I got a question for you, Sam. Um, In the 10 cases that we've taken so far, uh, we were reactive. People got a ticket. Uh, they were sort of random people out there. And um, we took the cases because they were typically working class folks. They didn't have a $1,000. The cases were egregious. So that's reactive. And I feel really good about those cases. But I don't know if any of them are going to really change the world other than a moral victory in helping one person. But are there any things that you found in the law that would allow us to go proactively to fight for the ability to, of a barbershop to reopen or a restaurant to reopen? Is there something we can do in the name of a larger group of people that would have a more symbolic or precedent-setting win? I guess what I'm saying is I'm so proud of what we've done fighting the fines so far, but is there anything we can do in the legislation challenging some ban here, challenging a ban there that would free not one person, but maybe hundreds or thousands?
2: So yes and no, um, uh, Ezra. A lot of people automatically sort of assume that the Charter will protect us. And I've been a little bit uh, agnostic about that because I recognize, as you may also realize, that we don't have absolutes in Canada, absolute rights in Canada, uh, or at least the absolute rights that we have in Canada are not the ones that we would normally think. All uh, all the rights of freedom of expression, assembly, association, and so on, that we think we have or we and that we do have are not absolute. They could always, the state could always override them by saying that there is this greater goal out there that we need to justify. In this case, freedom of religion, for example, um, telling people that they can't gather in, in home synagogues and so on, um, would would be that, that freedom of religion would be override by the fact that Section One, the goal is to flatten the curve. That was the purpose of it. Now you had a case coming out being launched by the Justice Center. The constitutional freedoms about that person, the preacher in Aylmer, who said that he had the right to perform his services in the parking lot. People would stay in their cars, and they'd be brought his services would be broadcast in FM. The government, interesting enough, backed down, changed the definition of what a gathering was, and allowed him to continue doing that. I don't think that's necessarily a win for freedom of religion, and the reason why is because I think what happened there is if you read the section of the Uh, Emergency Measures Civil Protection Act of Ontario, there's three built-in amongst many limitations. There's three limitations specifically to that act. And one of the limitations is is it says that everything that act has to be minimally intrusive uh, on our rights. So I really think what happened in there is instead of going to the charter, um, the government itself realized that internally in the act itself, says you have to be minimally intrusive. So I think what they did is they made their legislation more uh, in accordance with the own legislation. And we've been talking about that. Some of this, some of the legislation I think is not minimally intrusive. So instead of going to the charter relying upon charter arguments, which can be very risky, I think you go directly to the EMCPA and and in it in that legislation, it has a built-in charter type of analysis uh, to it. I think that's really the way that people should be going. That said, um, uh, Ezra, I think what now has been happening is you have so many exceptions to the social distancing rules that two things are happening. One is people are beginning to think, well, why are there all these exceptions? Right. I mean, there seems to be inconsistency with saying that essential service workers can have their children going to daycare, but other people can't go in, can't go to daycare. Right. How does that make sense at all? If the real concern is flattening the curve, certainly you're exposing a certain number of population to the virus. Um, And there's other exceptions. So I think you're going to have now going forward a built-in problem of public uh, support for the social distancing laws. I think you saw that in Trinity Bellwoods over the weekend in Toronto, big popular park here, a lot of people out uh, just sunbathing. Uh, Our mayor, John Tory, had to go out the next day and chastise people for not a, for obeying the social distancing laws. And secondly, for more important, I think, for us in dealing with the fighting the fines, I think it, all these exceptions creates a legal problem for the government to justify how they can make an exception here, the non-exception here, specifically when the act itself says you have to be minimally intrusive. So there's a built-up legal pressure now, I think, to start uh, relaxing things if people come forward with... Uh, uh, legal challenges to them. And and that's something, again, that we're uh, talking about. Um, And when it's the appropriate time, we'll announce that. Um, So I think those two things are happening in terms of going forward. You have people coming forward with some challenges, whether the JCCF realized what they were doing or not is beside the issue. But you have, I think, a breakdown in the public support for it, with all these exceptions. And uh, and I think it'll cause uh, legal problems going forward for the government.
0: Well, it's very interesting. It's hard for me to, to read the public. I mean, 10,000 Torontonians voted with their feet and went to the park in defiance of the mayor's scolding. But uh, there certainly was no shortage of scolding and nags in reaction in the media. I don't know how to measure which, has, uh, which is larger, which is more passionate, because, of course, the very next day, Uh, The police were out in force and scared away the park goers. I don't know. I think that some Canadians are still too afraid. Uh, They like the idea of being safe. And frankly, scolding other people makes them better about not going out to the park themselves. Maybe it makes them feel like it's the one thing they can control. I can control myself and I can scold others. I don't know. Maybe it'll be interesting to see how this goes. But I believe that as the months turn into many months that people will be tired of these inconsistently applied rules. I mean, if Mayor John Tory himself didn't get a ticket for not wearing a mask, I don't know why anyone else should pay theirs. Last word to you, Sam. Do you think that we're going to be uh, out of this Emergency Measures Act by the time uh, summer's here? It's still mid-May. Do you think by Canada Day, let's say July 1st, we'll be out of this emergency law?
2: Well, I only wish I had a crystal ball to be able to predict that. Um, Certainly, I think, uh, you know, through rebel uh, media, we're going to do everything we can to try and put pressure on the government to ease the restrictions as much as possible. Um, You know, Ezra, you know, I'm always sort of judicious in some of my comments. I, I want to acknowledge that when you look at the legislation, I really do think the drafters of it, I want to give credit where credit due, they did, in fact, look at many of the constitutional issues and to try and make the laws as constitutional as uh, as possible. That said, I think these issues are very complicated. It make, it's very fine calibrating. Uh, I think you can understand when you looked at SARS what happened, why the government reacted the way they did. But also keep in mind, uh, Ezra, that the EADS government, the conservative government in 2003, under pressure, tried to ease up the restrictions. Remember, it happened in fe- about February. Uh, March, they called the um, emergency, Uh, They they called it uh, um, the crisis. They used the Ontario Provincial Health Act to deal with that because, as I said, the Emergency Measures Act wasn't available to them. And then in May, there was an outbreak in the Scarborough uh, Scarborough hospital. So you could see why the government may be a little bit concerned and wants to go slow in easing up the restrictions. But nevertheless, I think it's important to have a counterweight, counterbalance, counterpressure to try and let the government know that there are people like you and like myself who um, are a little bit skeptical. Uh, They're concerned about health, but they also have concern about civil rights, and they want to put a little bit of pressure on the government to move forward in easing the the restrictions. And I think that's, if anything, Ezra, I think your work on rebel media talking about this and the fighting of fines is so important because it's putting that, that alternative narrative out there that you're right, the traditional media are not as much talking about. I've seen some of the National Post um, and some of it in other newspapers. but your voice is very important, and i and I think your um, viewership uh, supporting you and getting your voice out is also very important to provide that counter narrative to the government to let them know that people want these restrictions to be eased.
0: Well, that's very kind of you to say, Sam, and of course, you are the linchpin in the legal strategy, so we're very grateful. Uh, to you. You've spent a lot of time not only looking at the cases, but sort of walking our journalists through the case and our viewers, too. So we're grateful to you. All right, Sam, we'll let you go today, but we'll keep up the fight. And I just want to tell folks at home, if you or someone you know has a ticket, go to fightthefines.com, fill out our very simple form, and we will vet it. And who knows? Maybe Sam will get back to you. We'll take your case, too. Thanks, Sam. Great to see you again.
2: Nice to see you,
0: too. Bye-bye. All right, there you have it. Sam Goldstein, uh, criminal and civil liberties defence lawyer in Toronto. He's also a bencher of the Law Society of Ontario. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back on my monologue on Friday about Justice Patrick Smith. Cheryl writes, Wow. Are we living in an alternate universe? Thanks, Ezra. We wouldn't have heard about the story otherwise. Yeah, I just, I don't even know how I came across the story. I just read it. Um, I noticed Justice Zinn's name. That made me a little bit curious. And judges battling it out in a court with another judge moderating. That's just, wow. Um, boy, did they ever do a number on him. And all I could think about was if they are that vicious to a judge, one of the most powerful people in the country, um, access to the law, smart, connected, if they would do that to a judge, imagine how little they would think of doing that to you. Bert writes, Justice Smith is the object of a bureaucratic witch hunt. Yeah, and he had a moral victory in the form of this court ruling, but I'm pretty sure he's still net negative on the whole adventure. On my interview with Ben Weingarten, Michael writes, The Chinese Communist Party has corrupted the media, Google, YouTube, universities, and any number of global institutions, not to mention the economy. We need to break all ties with the PRC and recognize Taiwan. You know, um, Taiwan is a great little country. It's a democracy. It's 23 million people, though, so that's what? Less than 2% the population of all of China. So we have to deal with China in some way, I think, obviously recognizing Taiwan is important. But how do we deal with China itself? That's the big puzzle. I think we have to decouple from its economy and treat it like we treated the Soviet Union. Too big to attack, but let's contain it. And like South Africa, let's denormalize it. That's what I think. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel News, good night and keep fighting for freedom.